So, Matt, we're going live in 10, 9, 8, Welcome seven, to Fourth Times the Charm. How are you doing today, Ben? Fucker. <laughs> All right, we'll go again. Count me down again. That was a test run. I was seeing how you were feeling. Matt, I'm just going to start counting again, and you're going to interrupt me another time, aren't you? It doesn't happen on this podcast. I never interrupt people. All right. Because when I do, well, you edit it out. We're ready to go in... <laughs> Five, three, four, three, three, two, one, go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Fourth Times the Show, the podcast where each and every episode is a new concept, a new podcast, a new wonderful, de- delectable treat for you. <laughs> the intro line the same every week and i'm gonna make him have to say it every time anyway this well week, i'm going to have to because somebody just said the wrong name of the podcast it's not four times the show matt welcome to four times Wait, the, no, charm, I said four times the, the charm. only podcast you're the one where every week is a brand week. new concept i, this I am your out. producer ben, the comedy of this alongside moment. your director matt and yeah, today director, get out of we here we are Doing shut the fuck a up. brand new ISO of creative control, Matt. We're giving you gonna, a I'm brand gonna, I'm gonna new podcast concept. My own edits of these episodes, just my audio. And we yeah, that's right. Bringing... This week's episode is a brand new concept and one we've already have recorded a little bit for, and one Ben and I have been accidentally doing for years. Ben, what's this week's episode about? Today we are bringing you five stars under fifty. Ooh. The seminal cornerstone of fourth times the charm where every two weeks theoretically sure you're going to take a look at a movie on amazon prime or some other streaming service that has under 50 reviews and we're going to take a look at it and we ourselves are going to review them we're going to give the indie film scene a bit of love that it so desperately deserves well and we're starting off today a strong word there ben well, that may or may not deserve. Today, we're going to start off with a doozy. But before we get to that, Matt, <gasps> let, let, let's let's do the thing that every podcast likes. Let's let's get to know our podcast hosts a bit better. How, how was your week? How was your week, buddy? Well, uh, I, I got to experience a dramatically disturbing editorialization where, where, where Ben lambasted the love provided to us by a man and had a nervous <laughs> breakdown. Um, but I've recovered. I've, I've come to terms with myself. I've started a new cognitive project, though, that might interest you, Ben. Okay. Um, in collaboration with a few artists who have been speaking to, I am beginning to trace the lineage of a subgenre of black metal that is very, 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 very niche. Um, we, I managed to find one of the first bands, if not the first band, to ever at, completely incorporate both black metal and chiptune into music. And in conjunction with speaking to our, our great friend and in, in the, in the project Gone Mage, I've discovered that that might be the actual origin point of that genre. So at some point in the future, I might be able to actually dive down and give you guys a full dialogue into that subgenre. It's also the 30th anniversary of Freddy's Dead, my favorite childhood nightmare in Elm Street movie, arguably in most notably considered the second worst if not the worst of the original films with robert england and 
you know, otherwise than that, you know, just the common level of stress and decay. But the thing that matters, Ben, do you want to know, you know what has been great about this week for me? What, Matt? All the delicious, flavorful, aromatic food I've been enjoying. I have dined and wined this week in a really, really relaxing, relaxing way. So, Ben, on that note, what's the favorite thing you've eaten this week? I got COVID. <laughs> so, I, after seeing Matt and his family and friends in Chicago... You did not see my family. Taryn's your family. You're married to her. Oh, yeah, I guess. Your dog... No, he, 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 he's a servant. Okay, well, still at least one. Yeah, you, you, you saw my wife. So on the flight back, which we know because no one else who I spent significant time with in Chicago tested positive for COVID. On the flight back, I got COVID. The way I was able to immediately tell I had COVID, I was not feeling sick. Shockingly enough, I did not figure it out after last week's podcast where... It felt like I was having a nervous breakdown. Yeah, it did. Not all of that was real, but the greasy part was no, no, definitely no, no. That was, real. That was, that was all the, real, the, everybody. The greasy, no part, the greasy part was definitely true. But I, I feel I feel a little greasy right now, Ben. That's the kind of energy I'm bringing into this episode. Uh, anyway, I suddenly realized that even Greece. though I felt fine, I didn't have any flu-like symptoms... All of a sudden, I could not taste and I could not smell. And so for the last four days, I have been not able to taste anything. I have not been able to smell anything. And for having what could be a life-threatening illness, I am thankful I did not have any other symptoms. For now. But for my Karen side... And as for someone who loves food, which if you have not listened to our food episode we did a ways back, that one was genuinely really good, I think. I'm, I'm glad you uh, feel positive. That was a good podcast. There yeah. were some great delectable dishes we went over there. And I cannot enjoy any of them right now <laughs> because I cannot taste anything. So I've been slowly going insane over the last four days. And yesterday, Matt... I was, I, it was like I was a, a recovering smoker or something, and I was having withdrawals from taste. I was just a nasty asshole yesterday. Oh, and my fiancé was so kind and caring, and I'm very thankful to her for that. But there's something strange about feeling completely normal, except you cannot taste and you cannot smell. And that sounds like it wouldn't be a lot. And for me, at first, I was like, whoa, this is really unique. Seeing, you know, how eating is like when you cannot taste or smell. And by yesterday, Matt, I was going insane. Because I, and if you are listening to the audio, you might hear my stomach rumbling. Do I care? No, because I don't feel hunger anymore. Because my whole day is surrounding what am i having for dinner like that's what drives me through the day and ben, once ben, i have ben dinner rewards himself with food that's something yeah. we've known about ben for we've gone days or at least what feels like days with ben not eating and not eating much and it's because he has things to do and his objective is to finish the thing 
enjoy good food, which is something Ben and I have always done together. We're the type of people who will order the equivalent of six people's worth of food at Taco Bell, but it's because we haven't eaten in 48 hours. Food is something that, of course, we need to live, (laughs) but it's also something that has become trivialized, right? And food is everywhere, and you can get food from almost any street corner and there's well, ben, your, your american privilege is coming out right yeah yeah my american privilege is coming out but for well, me for at least sub-saharan african listeners i'm sorry we don't have any of those we do have a german listener which hello hello i um quick aside when i was in germany on my uh honeymoon this is an aside of an aside now yeah when I, when I was on my honeymoon, I kept saying hello to people when I was both in Germany and in France. And I guess I looked German enough that I would say that. And then locals would just start talking to me in German, like flat out into full fluent German. I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Every, it, happened in, it happened in Paris, too. A concierge or a hotel started speaking to me in German because I said hello when I walked in. And he was like, oh, <laughs> A German. One of my favorite things that happened in New Japan Pro Wrestling, we're going a rabbit hole deeper here, <laughs> deeper. is deeper. John, John Moxley debuts in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He comes from Cincinnati, Ohio, and that he wins a match, sad. and he closes the show, and they have a good restaurant or two there. They also have Jungle Gyms, which is the biggest grocery store in the country, and those are awesome. You can get ostrich eggs there. Every time I've gone to Cincinnati, I've stayed in a hotel and then walked outside and been able to see an abandoned, like, building within 10 feet of me. All right, all right. I got to reel you back in, Matt. We're not going down into that hole now. Welcome Uh, to an episode of City (laughs) Reviews, where we dive into different small towns and big towns that we've been to, and we tell you about the intricacies that we've explored. Ben and I have been lucky enough to both travel the world and the United States, and we have the insights like no one else. Now, Ben, how are you feeling this week? (laughs) No. No, (laughs) veto. Anyway, all I was Coming going to say is... Coming next week on Lower Times the Charm. All I was going to say is John Moxley has his first real interview in Japan, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And even though he's in Japan, they still speak in English. Uh, and then they can, like, subtitle it over or they the commentary translates it. And the crowd's respectful. And so he goes, I'm John Moxley. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. And you hear the crowd chant back, Ohio, which is Japanese for hello. Oh. <laughs> so they all thought he was just saying hello to them, which I I'm thought was adorable. I'm John Moxley. I'm from insert thing we can't understand. Hello. So uh, bringing it back to Germany and bringing it back to me not being able to taste anything. <laughs> It's been shockingly difficult, and this apparently lasts on average three weeks, and I'm not even at one week yet. Or forever. And I feel like Or I'm, forever. Yeah, don't joke about that, Matt. Because this is, like, such a focal point of my day and what I drive myself towards, because I like to reward myself after a long day of work by having a nice, big, heaping, helping meal, which was the whole point I was trying to get across before. Uh, since I don't have that anymore, it's thrown my entire schedule into disarray, and I don't have, like, that thing at the end of the day to look forward to. So after we're done recording here, I'm going to cook baked chicken, 
and I hope he sees I'm going well. to bake some cauliflower and broccoli with it. And it's going to be lovingly crafted together. Going to throw some fresh garlic on there. Going to season with nice salt, pepper, oh. blah, blah, blah. Maybe drizzle with some lemon. Oh, well, I'm, I'm here for that. Now you've excited me. Any rice? And it doesn't matter to me. Maybe I'll throw in some rice. But it doesn't matter to me because I can't taste or smell any of it. So I've, it's very depressing. It's uh, My existence is very muted right now and i don't have a lot of things to look forward to i'm also poor because i spend too much money on travel so i can't even buy myself anything to to hide the hole in my heart but ben that was filled with food ben you know but you know what you know what can fill a hole in any heart what matt a movie that thinks it's good and has less taste than you do right now I think that means it's time to look at the charnel house, Ooh, baby. So, uh, so, 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 Matt, um, what what song should we put here? Because uh, I was thinking it's five stars under fifty, so I was thinking maybe we could put like Rob Van Dam's theme because he did like the five star frog splash. Or do you think that's not thematically appropriate? I don't think that's. You gotta put. You gotta put some. The problem is is finding the right middle ground between something that's like cinematic but isn't popular enough to get our episode taken down. Now, I think you you could go with the 20th the uh uh 20th century fox. How do you say that? 20th century. 20th century fox more like 20th century cox, am I right? Boom shakalaka. Yeah, you should do boom, the 20th century boom. fox music. But slow it down so it sounds sort creepy. Of. Trust me, get, if you get me, if you get me the audio file, or I can find the audio file of the 20th Century Fox sound music, I can make it cool. All right. Well, we're going to uh, try it out right here. <laughs> Hello and welcome everybody to the one, the only, five stars under 50, a show where we dive through the depths of Amazon Prime and other streaming platforms, find those lost, those hidden, sometimes those rightfully forgotten films, and bring them to you. We dive into the people who made them, their stories, and what we saw on the screen. Now Ben, what movie did we bring everyone today? Excuse you. My name is not Ben. My name today is Roger Eben, the Holy famed shit. worldwide known film reviewer. But my, my only caveat is I can only review films that have less than 50 reviews. <laughs> This week, we're bringing you The Charnel House. The Charnel House has, at the time of recording, 30 reviews on Amazon Prime, which is in a, a three and a half star rating. Now, this movie is a horror thriller suspense film um, directed by Craig Moss. And just to dive into Craig Moss real quick, 
Uh, he's directed such classics as Saving Ryan's Privates, the 41-year-old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it, 30 Nights of Paranormal Activity with the Devil Inside the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Badass, Badass 2, Badasses, Badasses on the Bayou, 911 Nightmare, and Nightmare Nurse. Now, this is arguably one of his first well-produced looking films he's ever done outside of how you would feel about these spoof off kind of very cheaply made movies that feel very similar to the hammer film era of cinema um written by such beautiful classics as chad israel and emmanuel eisler but we'll dive into those two men a little bit later now ben right out of the bat what did you think of this horror thriller and we'll dive into what happens across the movie but i want to get your initial reaction before we let the audience know what they're in for can you use my name matt can you use my uh, kayfabe name please can you can you tell me what it is again because it's woo! it's roger eben like roger ebert except right. instead of bert it's ben so roger eben can you please provide me with your initial thoughts on the charnel house well you know you I, i've seen a lot of movies like the Char- okay, I can't do. A weird I, was, thing. I was, I was like, I, when is that? When is I, that? I ending? feel like the, I feel like this movie deserves more respect than that. The Charnel House is a movie that should not be good, but uh-huh. has just enough going for it that I thoroughly enjoyed it. The film is competently filmed. The no, it is competently filmed. The cinematography is fine. The yep. lighting is really professionally done. I feel like the acting, even with what they are given to work with, is shockingly solid. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it that. I think that the directing and the writing is horrible, yep. genuinely, genuinely terrible. Yeah, but very bad. I think almost, that almost porn-like. It is almost porn-like, but I think that in a way that works in the movie's favor, mm-hmm. where instead of having what would normally be a traditional horror film, where it has the same very basic plot points, everything is distilled to the viewer in an extremely stilted, disjointed way. Which makes it both easy to follow and strangely obtuse. You have dialogue, which is so incredibly ham-fisted and fake-sounding that it's almost unsettling. Because Mm -hmm. the characters don't react to each other as a human would with another human. They react to each other as if they're in a porno and they're all about to have one giant strange gangbang. And because of that, there's an unsettlingness to it where it's almost like a movie made by the lizard people to create an approximation of humanity. And the fact that it's so unsettling throughout means that even though it's a traditional horror film, you don't really quite know what to expect. And it makes it engaging. Well, okay, you you say you don't know what to expect, and you do know what to expect. If you listen to our commentary track, me and Ben call the ending in the first twenty five minutes of the film. We do, and we we, we get it. We get it exactly right. But the thing about it is that 
everything is so strange and off kilter, it does leave you guessing. Mm-hmm. You know everything that's going to happen, and it does happen. Yep. But the fact that everything's professionally done enough, you you think to yourself, well, wait, is this actually happening? It's <laughs> it, it's just a very disconcerting movie. It's not a scary horror movie. Not at all. It's a very disconcerting horror movie. There, there's a lot of moments where the plot could go a lot deeper or a lot further, and it doesn't at all. But at least you, if you're a big fan, if you're a real big fan of these movies, movies that deal with like supernatural twisty turvy non-direct plots you'll have a good time because you'll be like oh i know exactly what's going to happen in this movie and then you'll feel completely validated for that but then it does it without actually having like extremely ham-fisted acting which is sometimes pretty decent and competent for the most part and it has yeah cinematography that's viewable it, it, it actually kind of comes off like a tv show cinematography um and as ben said some of the most derivative and straightforward writing you have ever seen a, a, a character in this film goes i used to you know do military stuff and you know went around and did all this stuff but then i started doing some intelligence work on the side before i retired cuts to the next scene of him like deep diving into the place and has like a wall with like the X files, like pictures all across the wall and like lines drawn to him. Like this is your apartment and you moved in an hour ago. Congratulations, you're now a resident of the Femmel Bluffs. It's very exciting. It's stunning. Yeah, as soon as I saw this place, I saw potential. Like I knew what she could be, you know? It's hard to believe you had this crazy idea. And here it is now. This is your dream. It is the distinct honor of the National Register of Historic Places to award Fairmount Lofts with this plaque. The entire building is automated. Every single unit is equipped with an infrared scan that's going to pick up your biorhythms. Touch anywhere. Voice activation artwork. It really is the home of the future. Voice activation myself. with a scene where there's a kerfuffle outside this uh what do you call a a slaughterhouse well so fun 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 fact ben not to derail you too much here but it it is appropriately titled the charnel house because a charnel house is a vault or building where human skeletons are stored 
And isn't that apropos for the actual narrative being told? Not to belabor the point, the opening is one of the most confusing parts of the movie. Oh, yeah. You open, and there are police cars outside of a slaughterhouse, and a man who grabs a boy and yeets them both out the window. And immediately afterwards, you see the same boy standing in that spot with no editing to denote that that was a flashback or premonition. Or anything. Nothing. Nothing. There is no narrative storytelling happening with the filmmaking. It's all in the script. There's no real narrative structure to it. It is all spelled out word for word to you. Which is the only way this movie makes a lick of sense. Mm-hmm. So at least they understood that it was confusing. The, yeah, the way they presented it. The bad um, version but, of this movie would have taken the ability to see the future a lot farther. Yes, I agree. Or or the last half of the movie would be in the future. Well, that's next with Nicolas Cage, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Um, <laughs> which wasn't very good. No. Uh, so anyway... Worse. Because the child sees into the future, he ends up not going out the window with his father, and his life is spared, leaving this strange juxtaposition between the one version of him in the window and the second version of him that was from the future. You're leaving a little bit of detail out of here. This is to set up our uh, what is obvious, the fact that his father's committing some crimes. He's covered in blood when he comes upstairs. And as the the death happens, as the kid's being led away by the police into the nowhere, he he sees himself sitting in the window. And this is played off like it's going to be extremely relevant to the way the narrative goes. And then it just smash cuts to an adult guy walking back into the same building who looks at that window. And it's like, I wonder if he's the same person. So what, what happens next in the film is we jump forward. And we're introduced to our two leads, which is Callum Blue and oh, which is Alexand Alex Reeves and Mia Reeves, played by Callum Blue and Mackenzie Moss. And they have just purchased the same slaughterhouse we saw in the beginning of the movie and are turning it into a high tech, super advanced loft style apartment as a way of preserving the history of the building and building a new future with their child, who's the other kind of lead of the movie. Uh, and, which... and 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 I, this is one of the strangest, most unsettling bits of the movie, Matt, where the motivations for these characters are so strange. Our main guy, he's an architect who converted this building that was a slaughterhouse into luxury apartment homes. Which is normal. In, in a city like Chicago, it was very normal. My brother used to live in an old shoe factory. Yeah, that's fine. What's strange is that he goes, this was my dream. This was my life's work accomplished, converting this particular slaughterhouse into well, he doesn't, luxury he, apartments. He doesn't and tell his anyone wife, it's a slaughterhouse, Ben. Don't forget, he the, to, to, the, to the quality of the script... He does try to not let anyone know the, the direct history of the past of the house. And it, it is a contentious point, my friend, with the first victim of the charnel house. 
Yes, which is an elderly man who's just pissed off who that gives, it's a slaughterhouse. Who gives what I think is my favorite performance in the whole film. Because at one point, the, the building is being given like a national registry plaque, which is you know very popular for these loft buildings. It increases value. But it also he's the means one who hands it off. Yeah, he's, who, who he's gives giving them it to the national registry. Yeah, because yeah. he, he applied and he got it. Apparently, this isn't done by the plot. This is assumption here that he like went through the paperwork to get it made. But right. the, the man's there. And as you're introduced to this character and the main character talking to one another, this man's like, how dare you? Ugh. And then there's we cut to a ceremony where he's being given the plaque in front of all of the residents who we meet in the next scene. And where also we truly find out Chad Israel used to write porn that he had cans him the award. And there's just a cut in, in the, in the sheet in the scene where he's just glaring at his back being like, how dare you? And I think he even gives like a little like <laughs> bullshit, but it's also, he does. it's also where we get re- our first indication that the charnel house might be more than it seems when after insulting the home, the main character turns to this old man says, you better watch out what you say. And weirdly enough, the man giving them the plaque in the city is somehow now living in this apartment building too. No, he's spending, he's spending the night in the building because he was a representative of the national registry handing them the plaque, which I wouldn't have stayed there if I was that man, especially knowing the message but he was directly warned. He's like, you better watch out what you say about the about the building. And he's like, oh, yeah, nothing could happen. Followed by him getting murdered by a ghost. And I don't think anyone ever finds the body either. No, none of the bodies are found in this movie except for the uh, the young actress who plays one of the residents. She's like the her and the other guy are the only bodies found. Both uh, Emily and Jackson, who we meet later in the later in this actual same scene. So. At this point, we're introduced to the rest of the people who live in the Toronto so, house. So, or, I, I would like to note, when I was making um, independent short films, mm-hmm. I realized that elderly actors are generally a lot better than the average actors, which makes sense. But it, I, I do think that goes with what you said that these people were probably not paid very much no. but hey at least the older actor was really good most yeah. of the acting was, was very competent in this yeah, film. even 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 um the girl who plays mia reeves the young kid McKinney yeah Moss, even even the children did shockingly well which Charlotte is reeves is, is i don't, I don't want to belie her acting ability but uh, natalie velasquez is that the is that the young girl but, who's... no that's the, that's the wife Oh, yeah, she made no impression on me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, though, though, shockingly enough, just to, just to give it a little bit more about the, the actual cast of this film, a fun fact, this movie, it, for a short period of time, contains the actor Joe Carey. And you might not recognize his name right off the bat, but he is Stephen Harrington, Steve Harrington in Stranger Things. He was Keys and Free Guy. And this is, he's in Molly's game. He's been in all these big, big movies, big, big television programs. And you just scroll back in his IMDb and his fifth role ever was the goddamn Charnel House. And so it's strange to one star. This is the one strange, star. 
it's strange because he's introduced alongside this sort of hot jockey character who felt like he came straight out of a porno but forgot to take his shirt off. Oh, he does later, And And it's weird because this character is introduced... And there's no in-game for him. He's yeah, just sort of him? there. He, he's there for one scene, and he disappears. You're I right. almost feel like he was in this movie as like a favor. Or they, maybe he signed up for this movie, and he's like, oh, my God, guys, I got Stranger Things. I got better shit to do. Yeah, he did. He did get cast and then he bounced the same year. Because he's in one scene, which is essentially used to introduce the other guy and play off this dude bro dynamic they have. And he is not in any other bit of the yep. film. I almost thought I hallucinated him I did at too. a certain point. And so, and to, to, to mention those other characters we meet and some of that writing Ben talked about, we get to meet a character named Jackson Davies, who's played by Andy uh, Favreau. Which, Jackson Davies, that's Favreau. a porn name. Yeah, which is a porn name, and his, and his uh, co-star, or I guess his uh, future love interest, Emily Turner, which is a direct lift from Pirates of the Caribbean, um, played, by Daniel, uh, played by Danielle Lauder. Um, to be they, fair, that is the most generic name possible. It, it, I, you it get is. a mullet. You, if you're criticizing Emily Turner, that's because the name's not creative, not because it's a knockoff of Pirates of the Caribbean. Good point. So we're introduced to these two characters who instantly do the um, the moment where they're like, hey, hey. And then she goes, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm underneath you. And he goes, huh i'm a hunky man she goes oh no no you're on top of me oh i mean i live in the apartment below you and he's like ha 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 i'm gonna go get us a drink and that is the energy that persists through every scene they're in together but every scene they're in is a porno except they don't have sex but it, it is the best written dialogue between two characters in the whole movie It is the only part that seems remotely natural and is a complete tonal divergence from the rest of the film. Anytime just these two are on screen, it doesn't feel like the rest of the movie until the, until the heightened bits that happen near the end are there. Nothing matters except for the fact that the guy has a dog, which somehow became relevant in this movie. Yeah, that is a really good point. Their relationship never plays a factor into the movie at all. Outside of outside of her and him getting killed by virtue of the charnel house, um, nothing else matters. Yeah, Rupert and they don't get killed him. together. Yeah, either. she's killed by Rupert. He's killed by Rupert pre- uh, possessing his future self, who has returned to the house. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because the plot in this movie does not. Directly after introducing those two characters, we meet Devin Piles, who is played by Eric LeRae Harvey, who's a actually a good actor. He's been in a, he's been in a lot of good stuff. He's an actual good performer, and he is introduced as a gentleman moving into the building who's had past history with the building, but who's very interested and is ex-military. But he's now like a a an investigator he says which we find out he's a paranormal investigator and yeah is a, we, and diving into the history of the house because promptly after you meet him and promptly after it tells you that that he is this investigator the entire um supernatural story that is like kind of building tension in the background is just explained to you in its entirety 
Yeah, this character is investigating the house because his father, he suspects, was murdered there. Which, ding, ding, ding. But if if his dialogue was handled by a worse actor, oh, man. it would have completely killed this movie. It would have and been a cavalier it's to the his time. credit that he actually managed to make his word vomit interesting where he explains the history of the house, etc. Um, I would say he's probably the strongest actor in the movie. Definitely. Purely because his performance is so pivotal to the movie working. And he, do, he does a very good job with what he's given. And he's not given a lot. Yeah, he's giving very, he's given very little to work with. But he, he tries to pull the most, especially as the movie goes on and the intensity yeah. ramps up. Everything happening around him is really dumb. But at least he's actually giving it a shot. So what the, we, the, what, the, the other key character <laughs> is the daughter who ends up developing a relationship with Rupert who is the young child who was seen in the opening scene oh, but being ben, thrown out the window. Here comes Devin Piles to, to give you the, the dialogue you might be questioning or trying to come up with on your own, where he tells you that in across esoteric thought, there's a notion of a doppelganger. A doppelganger occurs when someone gets a premonition of their own death and they manage to avoid that death, leaving behind the spirit of themselves which, if they die, can become a ghost. And if they don't, they become locked into the place where they were created, constantly seeking out to bring back their original self to remerge and fulfill their objective upon death. Yeah, so that so, essentially so the lays the groundwork for the movie. The ghost, the ghost is ghost trying child, to kill himself. Right, the ghost is trying to kill himself. He's playing with the little girl throughout the movie through these because it's a future luxury apartment. It, it they have so screens. little to the plot that you don't even need to mention it. And then and the people, everyone listening to this will see the exact same movie we're describing. They have smart screens. house by Disney used a smart house better than this goddamn movie. Yeah. They have screens that are just placed randomly in hallways that this little girl's playing with that she obviously cannot reach which I think is hilarious. Oh, and she, and she, she draws Rupert, on it. And, and, and the drawing appears like four inches away from her finger and just happens to fill in perfectly the lines. Yeah, and Rupert, if he's mad at her, will fuck with her drawing and upset her. Yeah, he, he erases... He, he She's like, I don't want to play with you, Rupert. You're spooky. And so Rupert just like rubs his hand through her drawing and erases it. So that is essentially the groundwork for the movie from there obviously kill 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 oh no you found out the secret oh Oh, we're gonna kill the family do we don't we that's the the general structure of the movie the death of the first character the old man who doesn't i don't think he has a photo on imdb so i don't know who which one he is i assume it's neil fackberry because he played by he played blaine cornish um and this is the only movie he's been in which also makes sense um he he's killed in a really interesting way so he's disgusted that the house used to be a slaughterhouse for pigs um and so the way he's killed he's like taken down into the basement of the of the building which is where all the power is because it's where all the murders happened and he's like 
assaulted by hallucinations of being killed like a like how cows used to be with a nail to the head and he just has a heart attack and falls on the ground and nothing happens and then his death doesn't matter because no one notices that he's missing because the plot of this movie takes place over the course of two days okay matt uh, did we hate this movie because i remember enjoying this movie but this is (laughs) we we, we this is a movie that is more than the sum of its parts Yes, every every aspect of this movie is bad, and when you watch it, you you have a good time because it has less than fifty. Like this is a great movie, despite despite my lamentations of it right now. It's a fun movie to watch with people who like to watch a lot of horror. This is like these are the movies that really can only be watched by horror buffs because if you're not obsessed with the like with all of the different nuances of horror, you've watched all the avant-garde modern horror movies. You've watched all the old school and the new school. This movie is perfect for that audience because it's like a guy who watched 10 horror movies, wrote and directed a horror movie and somehow didn't fuck it up as bad as all the other movies we've seen. And so you kind of get this like giddy high. Ben and I watched the beginning of this movie three times, and we're not we weren't going to record a commentary for it. We watched the beginning of the movie once, twice, and then we were so flabbergasted by what we were watching, we had to go back and start recording. And that's the kind of energy this movie will take you on because shit just keeps happening, dialogue is vomited at you, and it's generally a cool time because the deaths look good. And the plot is very straightforward and doesn't go off the rails like so many of the other movies we've watched. And you'll have a good time, but man, it's almost more fun to laugh at this movie than it is to watch it. The thing with this movie is that it knows what it is and it doesn't try to be more than that. And the fact that everything's done by professionals means that you don't get the this is a college film vibe that you get with like the genuinely bad horror movies that are unpleasant to watch this is a movie that's very pleasant to watch and to have fun with and enjoy for horror buffs Mm -hmm. it's it's not like a good good movie it's not a traditionally good movie but on the five stars under 50 scale i would give this like a seven and a half out of ten yeah, of, of the movies that have less than 50 reviews on Amazon Prime, this is like a, yeah, like a 7 out of 10. Definitely, like it's worth watching. It's worth jumping into. Now, Ben, you mentioned this movie being made by professionals. And I want to take a quick aside, and I want to talk about some of those professionals who made, who brought us this, this beautiful script. The first, the first man credited with writing this movie is a man named Chad Israel. Now, Chad Israel is an interesting case. The photos on his IMDb and his profile were all uploaded by him and written by him. This is the first film he ever wrote. It is his writing debut. He's had one follow-up in 2018, which we're going to have to watch eventually. But weirdly enough, it seems like he's had a very long and lengthy successful career doing something and was it porn matt well we don't know that it's porn but even in his own description he says he has made a living as a ghost writer and developing content 
for international brands. Now, either he writes weird, obscure, or international like advertisements, or this man writes porn. It feels like porn. He does also, and I and I mean this as Chad Israel. If you're listening to this, I mean this as compliment. You also look like a porn star, and his photos in IMDb are one of my favorite things. It's just like a grainy headshot in front of a direct a direct TV now wall, a photo of him with Joe Biden, which he looks like 25 years older in, and his jaw is smaller. It's it's very disconcerting from the photo that comes right before it. And then a photo of him giving what looks like a presentation at DirecTV. A photo from the red carpet for this movie. Him actually holding a Shorty Award, which I was not able to find any information on. And I can't read what it says he won for. But he won an award of the 10th Annual Shorties. And a really, really awkward photo of him looking wide-eyed and honestly like he's high off his mind in a fedora and a scarf in a train station, which I've seen in every travel guide's photo book, and then an actually beautifully done headshot. I, I, I feel am, like I feel like someone behind this movie has connections There's because a- this movie actually got reviewed by both the Seattle Times and the LA Times. Yeah, no, this movie had some real pressure behind it from some of these guys. And Ben, I think I... In my in my research for this episode, I think I might have found out who that pressure came from. Okay. The other writer who's considered the writing partner of Chad Israel is a man named Emmanuel Eisler. Now, he, he studied and has been in the L.A. system since childhood. But he began his business by being hired directly by Stu Robinson and Bernie wine thrub i'm not mispronouncing that it's how it's spelled who are the company who eventually merged with the with the agency paradigm and he was he was hired directly by those two and so as a reward for his hard work he was promoted to a literary agent published two novels and a short story then all of a sudden this comes out with this ex-ghostwriter who never wrote anything else but made a ton of money doing what he used to do. And for some reason, this guy's only writing and producing weird horror movies after being a I, literary agent. I, I mean, if you look at his talent roster, he probably represents horror writers. So that's probably where that came from. Paradigm's actually not a small agency, though. No, that's what but I'm saying. It's, Paradigm's it's not a, a huge one, but it's solid. It's it's big enough that I knew what it was when I read that. Yeah, like, and I don't listen to enough of my horror stories. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because, to your point, Ben, this movie definitely had some pressure. It has actors that matter. You know, the actors in it aren't anybody's. the The wife of the director. Uh, was in an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Um, that's a fun fact for you, Ben. Um, what, but what, like, what role was she in? What episode and what role? She was in the 1988 episode 30 Days where me, where she played Megan Daly. Okay, that was that's not a... Okay, Voyager was not around in 1988, so... 
It, it says the ep. It says Star Trek Voyager thirty days episode air December 9th, nineteen eighty eight. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, Matt. It didn't. Captain Christine Janeway. It's got everyone in it. Okay, well, it, I'm just saying it didn't air in nineteen eighty eight. Well, didn't. season five, episode nine. That was like nineteen eighty eight. Why is it in black or, and or, white? or nineteen ninety eight? That's what I said. No, you said 1988, not 1998. 1998. Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. I have dyslexia. Leave me alone. She's also been in most of his movies. But yeah, so back back to the the film. So that's a little insight. So this this film has a very interesting history to it. There must be someone else. This movie, to me, reads like guys who had enough connections to make this done yeah we're like hey let's do this and enough people like them that they were like yeah sure well i think i think the director uh, which isn't a bad thing either i mean i i mean i like the movie so it obviously worked i think i think craig moss really is somebody's friend because he clearly wasn't the person who decided to be the guy who directs movies like saving private ryan's privates and the 41-year-old version who knocked up Sarah Marshall and felt super bad about it, which is, funnily enough, considered a video by IMDb, not even a film. <laughs> it's, but it's an hour and 22. I saw this movie at, like, Blockbuster or, like, the it's somewhere like it. It's a genuinely horrific movie. But it has um, proclaimed uh, comedian Brian Callen in it in an early role. Um in this in these spoof films so like clearly craig moss at the very least has endeared himself to someone where he did all of these movies a 2012 film called breaking wind which yes is a breaking dawn twilight saga spinoff he uh, has to he just has to be someone that somebody likes who's able to get these movies done cheap like that that has to be it well, he, there, there are. I, I there wouldn't are, be surprised if this movie was like his attempt to break into a different genre, and it just didn't work out because it grossed less than seven thousand well, yeah, dollars at the, the box well, this office. His, this was his third horror film. He did Nine One One Nightmare and Nightmare Nurse. Then he did Charnel House, and now in tw- in two thousand twenty one, his next feature length film is a movie called Let Us In. Uh, which actually has more real actors in it. It has it has Tobin Bell of Saw fame, and then a and this and Mackenzie Moss is back in this. His daughter, um, O'Neill Ohama. These a bunch of these actual like active child actors are in his next movie, which we're gonna have to watch. And guess what, Ben? He co-wrote. What, Matt? He co-wrote this one. Oh hell! Oh hell yeah! Oh hell yeah! Um, so so let's let's jump back into the to the to the movie. The kills have started. the The best kill in the movie. Um, we have to talk about Daniel Lauder's kill with the best use. I think, or not the best. One of the best uses of a garbage disposal I've ever seen in a film. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, hair gets stuck in the garbage disposal. She manages to wrench herself free just at the right angle to where she smashes her head into the corner of a table, which, if you don't have a lot of budget, pretty effective death. 
Yeah, the the Rupert, the the magical ghost in the movie, doesn't actually manage to kill anyone directly until he possesses Callum's character later in the movie. Or just who? Just oh my him. God, Callum is him! Oh, oh no. my God, spoilers! Whoa. 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 And then he goes all shining and and tries to kill his daughter and. Yeah, he only tries to recreate his original death by jumping out the same window that his dad jumped out of. The the only other... But his daughter then leaves a spirit for a sequel. Yeah, the only other real kill, and it's the the fake boyfriend, right? Yeah, well, he's the only person who's actively murdered. Outside of, I get no, the, yes. the character kills himself. Yeah, he yeah he's murdered by the possessed guy, and then the possessed guy kills themselves. So all in all, for a horror movie, it's pretty tame. This would work very well as like baby's first horror movie. Yeah, I I feel like if you saw this and you were like fourteen and you hadn't watched a single classic, you'd be like, "This movie's good," and then you'd slowly realize no, it was terrible. I, I, don't, I don't think that. Despite all of my love for the B movies, I don't know if I'd show this to anybody besides like you. No, but no. and all of our fans who I hope I legitimately think you should watch this movie if you're a horror fan, um, or if you've never watched a ghost movie in your whole life. Let this set the standard for you. I mean, if this sets the standard for you, you will love horror movies afterwards because it only gets better. Yeah, I mean, or you could watch Calvair and hit yourself. True so, that. Yeah, so true that. So a- a- after the end of this movie where it it, ver- it ends very derivatively where they go up to the third floor where he was originally killed. And after he goes on a murderous rampage after actually, so wait, let's, let's run it back. There's, there's a scene we forgot to talk about, Ben, the single best acting and arguably the best writing in the entire film is the scene where Alex's character is going insane and finally actually talking to Rupert where he, I think he utters the line, like, I don't want to kill you. I don't want to kill you. And he does this performance of like actually going crazy. That is like took me from like being like Callum Blues and offbeat David uh David Tennant to really captivating me as a performance. Do you, do you, do you actually remember this scene, Ben? It's the scene that flipped the movie for me from being this is funny bad to being like no, there's actually something here. Yeah, there was real quality in this movie, especially in the performances, and that was one of them. It was a tremendously done scene, and they shot it well too with the audio of the him yelling at the kid from outside the door when the other actor shows up to the scene of them leaving. Like that is probably the best directed part of the movie. And I will say one other thing this movie really, really does well is pace. It doesn't, the movie never lets up. It's not too long. There's not a big lull in the movie where you feel like bored and questioning your existence. The movie just keeps going and escalating to get you to the ending, which is like a very, a sign of very simple writing but since the pacing and the way it's shot actually maintains that energy you get to the ending you're like i'm ready for the movie to end boom it's over and so ben now that we've now that we've kind of reached the the middle end of this movie let's dive into the very ending where we set up a potential sequel where upon his daughter getting jumped out a window we find out that someone else had a premonition and this time, it's his daughter. Wah, bum, bah, bum, bum, bum. In our in our in our final scene, you know, everyone's running away from the psycho killer guy, and they're hiding up in the magical attic. 
where all of a sudden the, the daughter has the memory or the, the vision of her death in the exact same way that Rupert was originally meant to die. They subvert it with a little bit of slip and slide and they say some like pretty line and he like, he regains some kind of power and he's like, I won't kill my daughter despite the fact that I was raised to be a serial killer. And then he yeets himself out a window and we have no resolution to all of the people who died. No one finds any bodies, but they do a They do a recreation of the opening shot where the little girl is getting led away from the building and the shot pans up to the window. And what do we see? But a doppelganger of the daughter. So the house is still the charnel house. And that's the movie. Credits. There's six and a half minutes of credits. So this movie is not even actually an hour and a half long. And we, we kind of roll off into the sunset. So now we've, we've reached the end of this movie. We've broken down the many minds behind its creation. Ben, do you have any final words for the for our esteemed audience on what to expect on their first first deep dive into five stars under 50? This is probably going to be better than most of the films we watch. This might be our peak. It's not it's not the peak. There are movies that are better than this that are five stars under 50. But for as much as we like to have fun with this, there was obviously a lot of effort put into this movie and it does not go all to waste. And I do think that the strange directing and acting mixed with the professional acting and cinematography really brings a strange vibe to this movie that helps keep it at least interesting through the credits. And it's really uh, kudos to the actors for really bringing this basic concept for a movie to life. Yeah, and, and I also that dude from Stranger Things who just shows up and is never seen from again. Yeah, hype for that man. And, and for Rupert, who's the greatest child actor in history. He doesn't say or do anything, he just stares. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree with you, Ben. I think this is a, it's a, it's a worthy journey, especially through the lens of the production and the actual execution of the film. And for our first time going five stars under 50, I have to unfortunately say, Ben, this, this movie does not get my five star award. I would give it three and a half stars out of five yeah. over fifty. How are you feeling yeah. about the Ben? What's your, what's your the, star the, rating? This is three and a half stars under fifty, but we still gave it five stars on Amazon. Yes, we you did. Should support <laughs> independent films. Yeah, we yeah. Th- this movie does get five stars on Amazon, but three point five on my letterbox, which you can find, and I don't remember my username. Um, hold on. You can all you can always make fun of movies, but never make fun of the people who make them. Yes, unless they deserve it. I 100% agree. So you can find a review from me of this movie on my letterbox. You can find me at Thrall. That's T H R U L L on letterbox. Now for this our- show has been sponsored by our biggest fan, Brennan. No. No, we're done. We love you. We're done. We don't care about you. Stop. Stop. Thank you, Brennan. There is actually. Thank you for being a friend. There's actually one very important thing we need to do before this episode wraps up, Ben. What? And that is that is to proclaim the glory that is Nick's video game skill. Last week, Ben committed what was largely considered slander against one of our near and dear friends, Nick. Now, he might not be good at Soul Calibur. But he's good at other games. 
So, so I would actually like to mention that at the very least, I guarantee you, Nick did not listen to the end of last week's podcast where after the outro, I call Nick a little bitch fourth times and forever times a charm. Yes. And that's probably for the best. Now I, I would like to, uh, I have actually prepared a statement that I would like to read. Um, that's been sent to me I'll allow by it. Nick's legal team. I'll allow it. Uh, or that's been approved by their legal team. I would like to say this comes from the heart. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. <clears throat> ben, I, Ben, I hope Nick's yeah. listening. Okay. Nick, I hope you're listening. This is an official apology. I, Benjamin, would like to officially apologize to Nick for whooping that sweet ass in Soul Calibur. I would like to apologize to Nick for making him my bitch at Soul Calibur. I would like to apologize to Nick for being a lesser man than me at Soul Calibur. I would like to apologize and ask for Nick's forgiveness for being a smaller man than me in most walks of life. I would like to apologize to Nick for the physical ass whooping I will hand him if he dares challenge me in any walk of life again. And I would accept any challenge to a physical confrontation that Nick does or does not lay before me. I will accept all challenges and I will take that sweet derriere and treat it as if it is my own. Actually, no, I won't. I will treat it down and dirty and throw them in the trash when I'm done. And you want to know something else, Nick? You want to know something else, Nick? You can try once. You can even try a second time. You might even get a chance to try a third time. And each of those times, you will fail. And on that fourth time, that fourth time, you think it might be your charm. But it's not. Because the fourth time is the charm for us. Everybody, good night. And good morning. Love us, bye. Subscribe to our Spotify. Woo!